Well, let's talk some baseball, shall we? I mean, this is this has been a long time coming. I, Johnny, I've been on your podcast a couple of times, so this is your first meeting on the mound. How does it feel? You know, it's it's a pleasure. Thanks for the start. Uh, you know, I've I've had you on the show. It's great to be here. Um, ready for my ready for my meeting on the mound. It's it's everything I've dreamed of. I'm I'm starting on the on the podcast. I can't believe it. Unbelievable. Yes, and I am the pitching coach coming to the mound to knock some sense into you. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is Johnny McEwen. He is the host of the All American Brit podcast. He covers all things sports, uh, whether it's soccer or football, uh, whether it's the NFL, uh, golf, uh, and he does cover uh, a lot of baseball. We did a uh, a cool uh, preview show where we covered uh, all of the National League teams and all of the American League teams. And you guys should go back and listen to that episode because I think Johnny McEwen may be a prophet. There's a lot of things that he said <laughs> during our preview show that I thought, no way that's going to happen. He, You were right on the Cubs. The Cubs are, the Cubs. are yeah. a lot better than they were, and I didn't think they would be given the fact that you, Darvish, uh, was traded away inexplicably as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. And, and, then, uh, and then you were right about the Tampa Bay Rays. Were you... I can't remember. Were you also right about the Yankees or was that me? I think I was right about the Yankees. I've actually got the predictions that we made. Uh, I, I, I listened back to the episode. It's still a great listen. And, <laughs> and I, I, I wrote down all of our picks and you had the AL East with the Yankees up the top. Ah, oh, damn it. The Blue Jays, the Red Sox and the Rays. And when I said I pick the Rays to win the AL East, you go, whoo, big take, big take. <laughs> and I go, you know what? Powerhouse Tampa Bay. Rays, I'm, I'm with them. And you know what? They're playing really well. Then I went Blue Jays, Yankees, Red Sox um, for my picks in the East. And then with the Cubs, I actually do have the Cardinals winning the Central over the Cubs. I don't think the Cubs, I think the Cubs don't take it, but I knew they'd be good. I had a feeling they'd be good. Um, they have to put a good baseball team on the, on the, on the field but just because of the community there and how the, the Cubs are a staple in Major League Baseball. I think that they will always consistently be a good ball club. So you can't count them out. I wasn't writing them out at all. And it is an interesting division with the Cardinals and the Brewers. Um, the Reds and Pirates, you know, are bottom dwellers there. But I, I think that it's a competitive division. I think the National League is incredibly competitive um, when you look at the broader sense of baseball. But yeah, but uh, the, the, the one that I do kind of have to hang my head about a little bit is picking the Angels to win the West. That was a little bit more hot than uh, than head on that one, but hey, I, right. I, I got I got a couple things right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we can't be right about everything. That would be a little a little scary. So you have to get some things wrong. Um, exactly. In my defense, though, I think the Yankees. I, I did mention that the the fact that the Yankees were going to have some issues uh, with pitching, yeah. but it's been their offense that has been awful, which I did which I couldn't predict. Also, didn't had no idea the Cubs bullpen was going to be this good. So, They've got a bunch yeah. of guys, you know, like Andrew Chafin in there and a bunch of guys I'd never heard of. And then there's nobody that could have predicted how good Craig Kimbrell was going to be. No. Um, I think and a I lot of people I was, had written I don't, off. I wasn't thinking about the Cubs bullpen when I picked them for that. I think you just look at a lineup card that's going to have Bryant, Rizzo, Peterson, Hayward. Yes. You know, that these, these are guys you don't really want to bet against. Baez, I mean, one of the most exciting talents in baseball. Um, so... Go Cubs. Definitely. Johnny, I've, been, I've been stoked when the National League West teams roll through there. It's like, yeah, take three. Take three against the Cubs right now, San Francisco. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they, exactly. Send, exactly. Send them to Chicago. Send them out to Wrigley. They'll give them a tough time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, in the NL West, the, uh, the Giants and the Padres have been giving the Dodgers a lot of trouble. And I didn't think that the Giants were going to be as good as they are. And a lot of people are thinking that 
they're still not legit. Um, and the only reason why they wouldn't be, I think, is if injuries hit this team and mm. and that's kind of where they're, they're they don't have a lot of depth like the Dodgers and, and Padres do. So that's be one thing to keep an eye out on. But um, I wanted to have you on the show, Johnny, uh, number one, uh, because you have been my best friend since high school. Um, and I know I enjoy talking to you and I'm hoping that other people enjoy it just as much. Um, and then the other reason I wanted to bring you on is because I know you're a diehard baseball fan. I know that, uh, you told me not too long ago that, that baseball was your favorite sport, but the interesting part about that is the fact that you didn't grow up a baseball fan and you became a diehard baseball fan, sort of, I don't want to say late in life because you're still pretty young, but late, later in life than most people would. Um, and it happened in high school and I just, I'm just curious what drew you to the sport? What made you, uh, you know, bleed Dodger blue and, and, and bleed baseball? You know, in a big way. And I've, and I've, and I've thanked you in many ways, but I, I owe a huge thanks to you for really introducing me properly to the game of baseball. And I hope that, and I think that when people fall in love with the sport for themselves, it's because they've also had a wonderful introduction. And like you say, it's rare that a baseball fan is someone that comes with joins and, begins to understand the game at the age of 16 because baseball is kind of a generational thing. It's kind of a family thing. I mean, a huge part of your family is being baseball fans, being Dodgers fans, being New York baseball fans. And generationally, baseball gets passed down in a way. I, I discovered baseball really when I went to Dodger Stadium with you for the first time when I was 16. And I, it was the closest thing I've ever had to a religious experience. I mean, seeing Dodger Stadium was like seeing a church. It was just, it was magnificent to me. And the team wasn't that good at the time, but just getting your perspective and your little details of all of the, how this game works and how it all works and figuring it all out and piecing it together, I just fell in love with it. And I think that baseball kind of chooses you in, as well in a way. I feel like baseball is a lifestyle almost. You know, it's a 12-month sport for, in a way. There are those days in the winter when you long for it and miss it, but you still got trade talks and one of those roster shakeups and, you know, countdown to the days of pitches being called for spring training. I think that baseball becomes a part of your life. And I don't think there's a, a team that I care about more than the Dodgers. I, I, I'm with them through thick and thin. And I love supporting them. And I think that I come back because of the community. I think I come back for the pastime, the sense of time, what kind of time of year it is. Summer's my favorite time of year. So baseball's right in the heart of that, the thick of that. Summer nights watching baseball. Um, and so I just completely fell in love with it and just became obsessed with it. And I'm obsessed with a lot of sport, is the truth. And like you said, on my show, I try and cover as many things as I can. I love, I was talking about the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul fight, you know, fight night was a big part of growing up for me. My dad loved boxing and showed me that. And he of course showed me football and uh, the Euros of this weekend, which is a startup, which I'm so excited about England, national football, international football. And that's probably my first love of sport was watching England in the summer. And so it links to summertime as well. And the, the nostalgia of watching world cups and watching Euros. And, and so I think, when you when you have to ask the question, when I have to answer the question, what my favorite sport is, I don't think that there's anything I love following and that I feel is more a part of my life and how I feel about how things are going based on how 
what's going on in baseball. And I think baseball kind of tortures itself sometimes. I think that baseball talks about itself and thinks about itself sometimes so much. We're in the middle of a, a huge debate with baseball, with substances on balls, and we can get into that if you want. But I think that baseball is constantly, it's like, a, it's a social thing. It's, it's constantly moving. It's constantly changing. And when you're a part of it, you're just a part of it. And that's what I got from, from you. Is you gave me the opportunity to have a window into what it is to be a fan of a baseball team. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, you, you're right. It, it's about being part of something. It's about enjoying something with your friends, enjoying something with your father, um, like you were mentioning, you know, your, your father introduced you to, to boxing and I know you played a lot of golf with him and I know you even tried to introduce baseball to him and, and he kind of caught on. Oh, he took uh, to it. Yeah. He, he really liked it too. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Johnny, like, you know, growing, growing up, I, I didn't really find a lot of people. I, I don't know what it was that, 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 that liked baseball as much as I did. And, and I, and I sort of felt that, you know, until I met you and, and, you know, not to throw Jacob Moss under the bus, who's another one of my good friends, who's also a diehard Dodgers fan. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, when I was in high school, like I, I didn't really have the I had my dad and I had a bunch of other people, but um, no like close friend. And when I introduced you to the game, I thought, oh, well, you know, it'd be great, you know, if, if, if he likes it, if, you know, if he can come to the games like he, he seems to enjoy it. But I, I never thought that you'd take to it as as well as you did. And then I don't know if you remember me telling you this, but, you know, you, you, you know, were kind of, you know, I, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but you were kind of in awe of like all the things that I just knew about it. And you asked me like, why, you know, how do you know so much about it? And I, and I told you um, to play video games. And that was how I learned all of the players. Like I grew up playing Nintendo 64 and I played, you know, King Griffey Jr. Slugfest. And it's actually kind of fun to keep track of who is still around from that game. I don't think there is anybody still left. Maybe Albert Pujols. I don't think he was on that version mm. though. Um, but yeah, so that was what I, that was what I told you, right? Is like, you know, play video games, learn all the players, play with different teams. And you started playing MLB the show. And I think we really bonded over that. And we still play it till this day because you're still learning new players and, and and it is still a great tool to learn not only all the different players, but how the game is played. Best advice I ever got from you was play play MLB The Show and, and boy, have I enjoyed it. I mean, <laughs> I, I love MLB The Show and I think it is the ultimate tool in learning baseball players, learning about the, all the teams and, and all the players' individualities. It's also an incredibly, incredibly well-developed game in how it focuses on individuals within baseball. And that's what is really special about baseball is you kind of fall in love with a team, but then there are all these individuals that have all these different attributes and there are so many different types of baseball players. There's so many different types of players. In football, you've got a goalie who's you know great, big and tall. And then you've got a lot of guys who physically are kind of the same, but they have different mentalities, midfield, defense and forwards. You could have a starting pitcher look like the purest athlete ever or not to throw him under the bus, but you could have a Bartolo Cologne and they could both go out there and be dominant in the sport. And so it's so unique in that way. And, and it's all about the individual. And so the show completely provided that for me. I, I, I still do it to this day. I, I bought the new version of the game. I did a fantasy draft and I tried to pick up a ton of guys I'd never heard of or guys that I think I knew that are like spot starters on different teams. I have a lot of second string guys on this new team that I've just done because I love learning about new players. I love seeing how players develop. And that's part of the magic of baseball is, is the individual within the bigger sport, within the bigger picture. 
it's funny how we uh, develop like thoughts and feelings and maybe even deep connections with with players playing video games. And, you know, you know exactly who plays well with you and you know exactly who doesn't play with well with you. And one person that that comes to mind that you always bring up, (laughs) you say you never can hit with is Mike Trout and which is hit with it's almost Can't harder hit. to not hit well with him than it is to hit well with him. How does Can't, that even happen? Can't hit with him. Jake, Jake, can't <laughs> hit with him. Chris Taylor, power hitter. Mashes. Just absolutely mashes. Just, just mashes. You know, I, <laughs> I can't explain it. I mean, Scott Pesednik, steal bases, <laughs> no question. Steal bases, and he's on base basically every game. Uh, Nick Punto, legendary kind of stuff I would put on with him with the show. You know, I I go, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's draft let's draft a big one. You know, let's let's go for it. Can't hit with Mike Trout. Just can't hit with him. Flat yeah. out cannot hit with him. It's it's uh it's always a head scratching mystery to me, Johnny. Um and then there, you know, there there are some there are some pitchers too that, you know, you, you feel a certain way about. I feel like every time you pick Kershaw though, I, I tend to shell you. Um, always. My 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 heart's too heavy with it, you know. I think that, you know. <laughs> I think the slide is too perfect, and I put it right over the middle of the plate. And bang, flakata, flakata. <laughs> no, some of the—I mean, some of the best summers have been spent with you know watching baseball games and late into the night playing MLB the Show t- tournament brackets, and me trying to scrounge a win up against you. You've always been much better than me at the game, but that is also a testament to how good the show is. That I could still sneak a couple off you. That even at completely different levels, you could, I could be playing on rookie mode alone, and you could be playing on all star. But when we play, it's still baseball. It's still fun. Exactly, exactly. And and it's such a different game when you're playing someone else versus the computer because the the, totally. the computer can't really outsmart you. Whereas if you're playing me, you pick up on patterns that I do, and I try to pick up on patterns that you do. Um, especially pitching wise, like if I, you know, if I know you're going change up, you know, you I'm know, going change up first pitch. You first know, pitch you caught me on that so many. Times. <laughs> I know, I know, and uh, yeah, you, you would you would get so uh, angry with me. Uh, still do, but um, so you know, I, I'm sure people have, have sort of uh, caught on to this by now. But you you have a British accent, and your podcast All American Brit is sort of a, a combination because you're a dual citizen. You were born in LA, but you've spent, you know, a ton of time uh, across the pond. Your parents are from there. Um, I spent a few summers with you there. Um, and I just, I'm curious when, when, when you talk about soccer or football, um, it's such a global sport and baseball's not quite there yet. It, it's still considered America's pastime, even though, you could argue that uh, the NFL and maybe the NBA have, have kind of overtaken baseball in, in popularity. But we know that that cricket was sort of the, you know, the genesis, if you will, of baseball, as is as with a lot of things that that Americans kind of just steal from uh, from the UK. But um, do you do you find that that people over in England and in the UK, do they like baseball? I mean, is that something that they have have caught on to or or not yet? Certainly when, you know, you you start look when you have these big sports franchises like the like baseball is is huge in the United States. Tr- truly is. And it has decreased in popularity, you could say that. And I, and I think you have an argument that NFL is a bigger sport in the in the US, but baseball's right up there. Baseball is a like like we've just been talking about, it's a societal thing. It's a community thing. It's it, baseball's huge. Baseball is really big in the U.S. And 
like with anything, if you go looking for something, you'll find it. There's a fabulous community of people in the UK that like baseball, that love baseball. Um, I, f- I found them on Twitter the other day. They're called the at uh, MLB UK community. And there are people that support all sorts of different teams and contribute and talk about baseball. Of course, it's a little tough with the five hour or eight hour time difference. Yep. As a Dodger fan, when I'm in the UK and there's a 7.10 p.m. start on the West Coast, that's a 3.10 a.m. start in the UK first pitch. So but you're can- watching. You're still watching. Oh, wait, if if you need to, you you know you're up. But if it's a uh, you know the Diamondbacks are in town, you know you're gonna stay in. You're gonna sleep in. <laughs> um, but as far as popularity, and you know, you talk about cricket. Cricket is, I mean, this is according to certain lists, and there's lots of ways that you can look at this. And I think this is, a, I think this is a great point for discussion of the most popular sports in the world. And I think that it's based on just fan population, the amount of fans that say they support some sort of team or of a sport. The number one is by far football. There are 4 billion football fans in the world that recognize that, you know, they, I support Chelsea or I support Barcelona or whatever else. But the second most popular sport in the world then by that definition would be cricket. There are 2.5 billion cricket fans. I mean, cricket is hugely popular in India um, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and as well, you know, in, in the UK and in Australia, um, it's a huge sport. Um, so there are similarities with cricket and baseball as far as bat and ball sports go, but baseball is more similar to a game that was played in the UK called rounders and rounders was similar in the way that it had four bases and it was played in innings and you had to score points, not runs, but points. And there were no uh, foul lines. So everything was in play, similar to how kind of cricket's played in an oval. Everything's in play. And so I, I got all interested in this and started looking up whether or not rounders or cricket had a bigger influence on baseball. But the story about baseball is that it was founded by Abner Doubleday. And this was the commission of baseball that went out and found this. But Doubleday had actually passed away 15 years after he was given this credential. He didn't uh, accept this himself. It was uh, William Spaulding who launched a commission into how baseball was founded. And a sports writer said, you know, uh, some English guy named Chadwick wrote an article in 1903 saying, you know, uh, what was baseball founded by rounders? And I, I think that it's all very similar. And there was a, a, a report and then the National Baseball League of, of America at that time said, no, 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 it's an American sport. It's founded by Doubleday. And that's that's the end of it. And so there are variations of baseball that have found throughout time and, and, and hundreds of years. But bat and ball games, I mean, you can... Go back to Tudor times to see the origins of cricket. And so cricket had its influence. And then I think baseball is a true American game. And in that way, the game has been grown and, and, and spread from America. Um, and as far as popularity in the world, you've got Japan and in a huge, I think it's the second kind of home to baseball. It's home to the second biggest league of baseball. And, um, you, have, you know, of course, Cuba and Dominican Republic. I'd put Canada above the UK. I mean, there's a lot of other countries that would go before the UK, but there is certainly interest in, and growth in the game. But um, cricket is also its its own huge, huge, huge sport. Yeah. And, and, and we see, I mean, not a lot, but we've seen a bunch of Australian baseball players. Yeah. Liam, Liam Hendricks comes to mind, a, a guy that we had on the Dodgers not too long ago, Trent Olchin. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there's a bunch. Uh, there's a bunch of other guys that I can't think off at the top of my head, but there there are a bunch of Australian baseball players, but you don't you don't necessarily see British baseball players. Not and, necessarily, no. Yeah, 
And th- are there any? I can't even remember if there. I mean, I'm sure there have been. I think I've looked up. There must. There must have been. I, I've not got it off the top of my head. Uh, the, when I think of European influence in baseball, I think mainly of the Netherlands, and I think of Didi Gregorius. Uh, that is a huge European influence on our game that, that's that's felt. While the the World Baseball Classic for hardcore baseball fans is just everything. It's just so exciting and. All of the different countries that uh, are represented get really into it. And if you've ever been to a baseball game with um, whether it be Japanese fans or Korean fans or Venezuelan fans, I mean, that place is rocking. And I've been to a couple of World Baseball Classic. You and I went a few years ago um, when the United States played Canada um, in uh, in Arizona. And that was a that was a rocking environment. And then in 20. 17 or I think it was 2017 um, when we went to the uh, we went to Petco Park. I mean, the place is just rocking and, and there's such a passion for it, too. And the, and the noise just doesn't stop. It's it's from from first pitch to the last out. It's nonstop noise. And I am excited for baseball to come back to the Olympics. It's been a long time since we've seen that. And I think you make a good point about that, which is, is that we've got kind of you know, I don't want to say washed up players, but players that aren't on major league teams right now leading the charge like Matt Kemp and Todd Frazier. And and while those guys are playing well, you you would like to see guys like Mike Trout or, or Bryce Harper or Ronald Acuna Jr. or Fernando Tatis Jr., Mookie Betts. You want to see those big stars on that big stage competing. And the other issue that they have with the World Baseball Classic is that teams are so concerned about their players staying healthy that you might, you know, discourage one of your players from going to play for their country if you're a little nervous. Maybe they're, you know, coming back from an injury. Maybe it's not such a good idea for you to go and play. Um, I remember uh, Hanley Ramirez when he used to play for the Dodgers. He he was one of our better hitters in the middle of that lineup for a while. And he played in the in the World Baseball Classic. Um, I, I think it was like 09 or maybe even a little later than that. And uh, maybe it's 2012. And like he injured his thumb diving for a ball and then he was out for, you know, a good month or so. Um, And that is just, you know, you want to go play for your country, but at the same time, you know, we kind of need you with the big club. This is a constant problem in international football and football within Premier League. Uh, Teams have to send off players sometimes during the middle of a season, sometimes during a part of a really important season to play an exhibition or to play a qualifying match for a World Cup in the middle of the year and the player could get injured then and come back to the club and then what are you going to do? But clubs don't have the same kind of control over the players that these a lot of Americans teams do. And I think the biggest difference is Chelsea Football Club is a club of signed individuals to play. However, they have the right as players to go and represent their country and represent football on, on, on the international stage. And they have agreements with whether it be the the FA, the Federal, the the Football Association for England, or with their individual countries to go and play internationally for those teams, and so there is a risk, there is a, a, a an element that you have no control over. And let, to be honest, American teams have a great deal of control over their clubs and over their athletes, and it's the difference between a team and a franchise. We call them all teams, but the majority of American sports organizations are a collection of, of franchises. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a good segue actually to talking about 
football and the or you know soccer and the um there's an interesting rule that if you don't follow uh the Premier League or or any um European soccer that you may not know and I I learned about this from uh your podcast the All American Brit podcast you you talked about it um it's a really interesting difference between um European sports or, or sports in the UK versus sports here in America, where in in America, it you know whether if you're a professional team, if you're in the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL, um, you know you're going to be in that league every single year, no matter how poorly you play. If you win the World Series or you barely even you know uh, win three games, it doesn't matter. You're you're going to be in that league. Um, but in the Premier League, you don't always get to stay in the Premier League if you play really poorly. Um, can you kind of briefly describe how that process works? Of course. The promotion and relegation system is how football was essentially built in the UK. And it was only in the 80s that it was more under the banner that we now know as the Barclays Premier League. Barclays became the sponsor in the 90s and it led to the, the a huge growth in, in internationally in the Premier League. But how it works is there are small towns and communities that start their own clubs, their own football clubs. And all of these little clubs could have the potential to one day play on the biggest scale ever. And, and it developed over time. And there's a lot of history that goes back into when these clubs were founded and how the leagues were developed. But to break it down and to have an understanding of it now, there are a certain amount of Premier League teams. These are the teams in the top English division. And then below that, there's the championship. And that they all compete in the same way, so many matches during the year. And a win is three points, a draw is one point, and a loss gives you no points. At the end of a season, you then look at the win points and the top three teams from the championship would then get promoted up to the Premier League. And similarly, from the Premier League, the three worst performing teams with the lowest amount of points after the season's completed would then be demoted to the Championship League. So it's like saying, uh, 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 I think the best, the best way that I've been able to explain this in the comparison is, is similar to how the NCAA works. You have to earn your right into the NCAA basketball tournament. Duke and Notre Dame and Syracuse even aren't just walk-ons. They have to earn their points and earn through a system and through leagues that are all created. Similarly, everything dies and lives by the promotion and relegation. It's advertising money, it's huge amount of support, it's television money, and it's uh, support of a league. And so promotion and relegation, these teams kind of operate on the bubble. We've seen teams like Fulham drop down and come back up a lot. We've even had worries of Newcastle coming back, you know, going down and coming back up. There are lots of these smaller teams, bigger teams that are well known, like Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea. These are the kind of powerhouse clubs in football and usually operate and have enough players and have the finances to maintain and keep themselves in uh, the Premier League. Uh, and, the, and this was all kind of bro brought up and people started learning about this because of the world news that was the European Super League, how they were planning on dissolving essentially the Champions League, which is the European club tournament. That's when te a team like Chelsea can compete against a Spanish team like Barcelona or uh, Real Madrid. The, you compete and you have to be in good standing in your league. And then the top four teams from each league then go on to play in the Champions League. And, it, and if you're a team like Chelsea, where you're big, but you're not 
necessarily always going to be in the top four. You're going to be in the top eight and not worry about relegation, but you might not make European football, which is a huge financial opportunity for these clubs. Teams would get frustrated by that, by frustrated essentially by competition. And so the Super League tried to essentially cut out that process and like how most American leagues operate, guarantee teams those matchups. You know, the, imagine the, the Pittsburgh Pirates just aren't good enough and they actually go and then play a ton of minor league teams and the three best minor league teams would then be promoted to baseball. It would, it would completely shake up how everything operates and how it all works. As far as whether or not any kind of promotional relegation system could work in baseball very questionable yeah because i mean that was that was gonna be my next question because baseball basketball football they all have a huge issue which is that teams will on purpose tank we saw a few years ago when uh the indianapolis colts uh fans were basically chanting suck for luck so basically we want you to lose so that we can get the number one pick in the draft and draft andrew luck that happens all the time it happened with the the jaguars uh this past offseason with Trevor Lawrence and there was this huge controversy with with the with the New York Jets who were terrible but people were like why are you trying to they won I think they won one game or or two games or something like that and people are saying why would you try and win you're already almost there you could have had Trevor Lawrence that's the huge problem with these big sports is that the lesser teams fall out of competition. And one of the things Major League Baseball is trying to do is expand playoffs so that more teams are, you know, eligible for the playoffs, which I think is a good a good system. But you like what happened last year in the shortened season, you had the Dodgers playing like a do or die series with the Brewers who were under 500 and the Dodgers could have been knocked out if they lost two games. Now, you'd expect a good team like the Dodgers to be able to win, you know, two out of three games against a bad team or or a mediocre team, but they got to change the way in which the top records get buys and, and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, the point is, is that baseball teams, like a lot of other teams in American sports, will tank. It's it's a known thing. It happens all the time. And it's to position themselves well in the draft. And I think the only way to give these teams incentives to stay competitive is expanded playoffs as one and also maybe rewarding teams draft picks that actually do well so that you don't then tank a season or trade all your players. Then nobody shows up to the games. I, I think the way that 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 football does it is a really smart and and it not you talk about financial incentives, but it's also Comp, way more, way better competition. And you're fighting for something. You're fighting to stay alive. You know, it's not so much if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're not fighting for a World Series right now, but you're fighting to stay in the best league. And again, I don't think any of this will ever happen with any of these sports. I think you're, I think you'd see an uproar the other way, like you did with the Super League, where everyone was like, well, what, what, what is this? This is not how we do this. But I think there's got to be a way to make these teams more competitive. And I'm not just talking about baseball, talking about the NBA and I'm talking about the NFL. I, I completely agree. And I think part of what makes the product of the Premier League so strong is that every game does matter. And you will find that even, even playing a team that's not necessarily even that well known, but Chelsea Burnley, they're giving everything because every game does matter. And 
when you look at the format of American sports, some games just by their nature are going to be a little bit sleepier than others. It's part of the reason I, I kind of love baseball. I love a sleepy game with two teams that don't matter late in the season. I'll even tune in and watch that. I love that kind of feel, but that doesn't necessarily exist in football. And every game matters, particularly in international football and then later on in tournament football, where it's a one game knockout situation. And basketball and baseball have these playoff systems where it a story can develop and a series happens. You can win a game, you can lose a game, you can be up, you can be down. There's a struggle and there's a pull and push and pull. But there's always this un unsaid, true excitement about a game seven. Because a game seven, an incredible story has been told and then it comes down to the game. And I think that putting teams in more positions where it does come down to the importance of winning a game is everything. And in football, it's every match. That's why these fans are so passionate. You see them go bonkers middle of the year, even when it doesn't matter, because every game really, really matters. And so I think that providing incentive for teams to win is crucial. And I think that expanding the playoffs in a way is crucial. And I love the way that the NBA did it. And I hope that the play-in tournament is here to stay. And I think yeah. baseball could learn from that. I think the wild card games are good, but to have that wild card plus another game, if you're those two bottom seeds, adds another level of true baseball excitement to have to play a couple of games or maybe a two game series. Or I don't know exactly how it works. There's a lot of ways you could draft it up. I agree. Getting more teams involved in the playoffs and having more game seven type situations or elimination games make for the most exciting sport in the world. When you have yeah. the best teams fighting on, on, they've got one opportunity to do it. It's the best. It is the best. And I think what one reason why I do like expanded playoffs for baseball is you have these teams that are on the fringe, right? So that they're not necessarily bad enough to get a good seating in the draft or 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 what have you. Um, but they're not good enough to make the playoffs, they're on the fringe. And so you expand the playoffs. Now they have a chance to get in. Maybe they're more active at the deadline. That also, it's a domino effect because it also creates opportunities for players that are trying to um, build up their resume or make a comeback and sort of audition for other teams on on their own bad teams. Like they were talking about today in the, in the Dodgers-Pirates game that Adam Frazier, who you know, leads the major leagues in hits. Not a lot of people know about him. He plays in Pittsburgh, but that guy is fighting to be good enough, to be attractive enough so that a contender will come along and take him. Because I guarantee you that a guy that, you know, is as competitive as Adam Frazier is. And if you're in major league baseball, you're, you know, you're always competitive. I can't imagine that guy would be like, you know what? I really like PNC Park. I like playing here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick it out in Pittsburgh. No. I'm going to lay low. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't know how long you have left in this game. You don't know when, a, you know, when a catastrophic injury is going to occur. You don't know, you know, how long you're going to be successful for. So you got to get as many rings as possible. And so being traded at the deadline for someone like Adam Frazier is a huge uh, opportunity for him to audition. And, and similarly with a lot of guys around the league that that are trying to sort of hang on or, or make a name for themselves so that other teams will trade for them. But you've also got the fringe teams that will make trades not necessarily to sell, but to buy, to add to their team so that they can make that late playoff push. I think it all uh, will help uh, Major League Baseball. But I just found it interesting to kind of discuss how they do it across the pond and 
it, it, it makes for a lot, a lot more competition. And I, you mentioned the play-ins, the, the play-in tournament um, for the NBA. I think that was really exciting. I think that uh, they should continue to do that and develop that. Um, they got to come up with something for the NFL, though. I, I'm not sure that like because look, you could be let's say you're, you're let's say you're you're the Jets and you're you're in week six and you're zero and six. You're done. Done. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You're done, yeah. and you have ten more weeks or eleven more weeks left, or twelve. They just more another weeks. week, yeah, didn't they? So right, there's seventeen <laughs> games this year. So like, yeah. now you're what? You're playing for a draft pick? No, like you should not. That that should not be a part of the competition. Um, and I and I think that's that is what needs to change. I think baseball needs to stop tinkering with the stupid baseball and stop tinkering with all of the rules and all of the pace of play bullshit. No, you need to make it so that these games are more competitive and people will watch. It's, it's a pretty simple formula. Absolutely. I think that, I think it's, it's hard to say about the NFL because there is a whole love and, and undying admiration for the, for the league that play, that, that these fans do have. It's particularly, you say Jets fans. I mean, they're just, Diehard levels couldn't be higher with a lot of NFL teams. And so I think the product of the NFL is really strong. The fan base is really strong. They're not going anywhere. And baseball could still stand to get better. And I think that baseball, like I said at the top of the show, I feel like baseball is kind of constantly in turmoil with itself in a way. And it's because we're constantly trying to make the game better and understand it more. There are so many nuances to it that we over nuance ourselves and get over obsessed with it and tinker and how can we make it better i'm i'm quite frustrated in this foreign substance uh dialogue that's gone on because you know you you showed me baseball of course you also showed me what is one of my favorite movies which is major league and i think back to the scene with charlie sheen in the locker room going what's that shit on your chest (laughs) because that's the that's the bardal vagicel any one of them gave me two to three more inches drop on my curveball you know this is this is a film that was made in the what was it, 88 or something, 89? I mean, I ain't, got, the, I ain't got an arm like yours. I got to put anything on it I can find. Rub a little jalapeno in my nose, and if I need to do that, I just <laughs> just wipe the ball. You know what you, I mean? like this You is something put that's snot been, on the ball? I ain't got an arm like yours, kid. I can put anything <laughs> on I can find. I mean, it's just it's literally something that's been talked about and known about in baseball for so long, and now there's this huge crackdown on it. Yeah, and... and- and, you know, I, I've struggled with this too. And I, I talked about this with uh, another one of my guests, a former uh, MLB pitcher, Joel Pinheiro, um, who didn't view the putting foreign substance on the ball as cheating. Um, and, and I'm kind of torn on that because it's been equated with the steroid era as something that has, you know, essentially put a proverbial black eye on baseball. And, Pete Alonso said something interesting the other day, and and again, I you know you got to take it with a grain of salt because there there was some controversy against Jacob Degrom uh, the other day, and a bunch of his teammates came out and defended Jacob Degrom as sort of like he doesn't put anything on the ball, he's just a freak of nature, which I tend to believe the guy is just unbelievable. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. But Pete Alonso essentially said, I don't care what kind of crap they put on the ball, if the pitcher has more control over what pitch he's throwing and where it's going, and it's not going to hit me in the face like. Like it did for Kevin Pillar, and he's got a you know a busted face and a bloody nose. I'm all for that because pitchers are throwing harder and harder and harder, and guys are consistently throwing anywhere from 98 to 102, and you don't want to take that in the face. Like that that that's not good for anybody. And so I think 
with this substance uh, problem that baseball has, it needs to come up with a formula that can be used for a regulated formula that can be used for every pitcher. And if you basically, you know, deviate from that and you try to put more on it than is what is allowed, then then you will be punished for it. But there needs there needs to be some sort of regulation there. And and it goes back to my uh, point about changing the ball. That's the biggest issue I think versus the uh the the foreign substance. They keep changing the baseball. So you kind of you have to adapt right. and find ways that you can grip the ball better because pitchers are complaining that they can't grip the ball as well as they used to. You know, the seams aren't raised high enough or whatever the case may be. And Major League Baseball is trying to change the ball so they can increase offense. Well, it's actually done the opposite where like batting averages are lower than ever before and guys are hitting either hitting into the shift or they're hitting it to the warning track. And so it's what baseball tries to do is it tries to fix uh, fix the wrong problem, I feel. Yeah, Uh, it's 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 such an interesting one. And I I think that. We're too far down the road to have some big kind of blanket obvious solution. You know, we talk about all this tinkering that baseball does and they've tinkered with the ball. There's going to be need, there's, there needs to be more tinkering and this will take more time. And I think that, you know, you've, you've, you've made the best argument that I've heard so far and having a uniform mix that they can all, every team has access to and having uniformity across the league is what's important. Um, I, I, I didn't want to see the home run ball go. I, I enjoyed the way that the ball was flying out of the yard. I think that baseball has also adapted in the way that players' mentalities about strikeouts have changed. Batters are way more willing to have two, three strikeouts in a game if they're going to hit for more power. Uh, that, that's a way that players have adapted and that's a way then that the game has to then adapt. I think that individuals will have influence on the game and be unbelievable stars in their own way and, and try and and, and shift the way that people think that the game can be played. I mean, we've not seen something like what Shohei Otani is doing since Babe Ruth. The guy is an elite starting pitcher and hitter. I mean, these these are people that should be excelled and, and, and we should support these storylines and we should propel these stories in baseball because that's what is so interesting about our game, the individuality of it and the potential of it. And so trying to tinker with the game overly is just going to cause more problems. And so now we'll just have to keep tinkering our way out of it. And that's what I fear is that this will have, will, will, there will need to be continued uh, tinkering, but I hope that the players have the influence that they deserve because this really is, we watch for them as, as much as we watch for our team, we watch for these individuals and we want to see them at their best. And, uh, the, the substance thing is interesting. I think that things will start to come out and things already have that the majority of these substances are created by things that you can also find in a stadium. Like I think Coca-Cola's in one of these substances. And so sunscreen, it's like this, rosin, sunscreen, and rosin. It's like this, like we have access to all of these materials. So we're not cheating because they'd be here regardless. You know, it's, 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 it's just how it's just baseball, isn't it? It's, it's so, yeah. this is such a baseball story. There's no other sport where, you know, foreign substances that have been used for 30 years in the game are now suddenly in question. It's such a baseball thing. I know. 
I know. And and it's also like baseball to not handle it well. Yeah. Um, just like the steroid era. Fumble, t- from, the, fumble from the offset. Oh, yeah. It's just bad. Let's change just... the ball. And by the way, they're putting stuff on these balls. We, you know, it's just like, oh, Right, no. exactly. It's like, oh, no, we changed the ball. Offense is bad. What do we do? Oh, we got to overcorrect. And now we got to come down on the pitchers for being too yeah. good. Oh, we got to ban the shift now. It's like, it's like ridiculous. You yeah. know something? My whole take on the shift is like, don't ban the shift. Just become a better hitter. Just figure out a way to beat it. It happens all the time to the Dodgers. It's part the Dodgers of the rhythm of baseball, though. You know, it's like taking away. I mean, if a guy's going to ground out to a to a second baseman, and the second baseman knows the best position for him to be in, be in that position. That this part of the routine of baseball. Right. It's part of the data of baseball. It's part of why we love it so much. Is because of tendencies. What does a guy do in this situation? Can you rely on this guy? Is he clutch? And then people can break those molds and they can do something that they can only achieve in a in a venue like a sporting game and just suddenly defy the odds and. That's the magic of sport, isn't it? And so yeah. that's what I'm all about is making sure that these guys can be able to perform at their best. And when you start talking about taking away something that's been in the game forever, forever, you're changing, you're ch- you're, you are changing the game. Yes. And you have to deal with those consequences. And I think MLB's, MLB fumbled with this, but they it's because baseball, I think we're still figuring out how we all want to deal with this as fans. And that's going to be a big part of it is how... The fan mentality shifts around uh, these subjects. Steroids is one of them where people are leaning certain ways. We're dealing with Barry Bonds potentially coming into the Hall of Fame. You know, fans will think certain things. And time uh, changes and different thoughts and different things, whatever else. And yeah. I mean, the only reason why Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame is because writers believe he took steroids. And if you look at him and you watch his career, it's pretty evident. That's the Obvious. only reason he's Obvious. not in the not in the Hall of Fame because yeah. he was never caught, never suspended. And I think there needs to be a line drawn somewhere where yes, if you were caught or suspended for taking a banned substance under the rules of Major League Baseball, you should not be considered for the Hall of Fame, which is that's the difference between Barry Bonds and Manny Ramirez because by their numbers they should be in there. But on merit, Barry Bonds should be in there over Manny Ramirez. And I've come around on that because before I was not on board with Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire, any of these guys ever getting in. But then I thought, well, they were doing it during a time where it wasn't regulated and wasn't enforced. And so you can't punish players for that. If it, you can't retroactively punish players, I should say. And so from, so from now on, you're going to see players punished for using foreign substances and they should be punished. If, if they, if that is the rule for major league baseball, then you've got to enforce it. And it's just about the the kind of levels of it. And I think that, you know, you, you, you're a baseball fan from life and you've developed this opinion. Your opinion has changed and it grows. And I think that, you know, we have to evolve the way that we think about players when we look at them in terms of history. But you can't tell the story of baseball of, of the last 20, 25 years without talking about steroids. I mean, oh, of it, course it's, not. It's, in, it's a it's a part of the story of baseball now. You'd in, be ignoring history. Way. Exactly. You can't ignore the history of it. And it's it is what it is. And I think that the Hall of Fame has to do something to recognize this portion of history. And I think that what baseball does really well is respect and cherish its history and cherish the game itself. Um, I think that baseball does a very good job of continuing to respect its game and and and, and respect Hall of Famers. And, and I think that that is a really cherished thing in um, and, and is recognized by other sports as, as very special. There's something very special about Cooperstown and it should be continued to be a very special place. But its main job 
should be able to te- should tell the story of baseball, and I and I don't think you can tell the story of baseball without having Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Of course, of no, you're not you're not going to you know have a revisionist history on that. You you can't. It's what happened. It it, it happened. We were all witness to it. Um, but I think it is natural for a baseball fan, and probably different from any other fan base or any other sport. To have this internal battle with yourself, like, what do I believe? Like, what, you know, what am I okay with? Am I okay with Barry Bonds? <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I going to live? Am I going to get up every day and do what I need to do and 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 be okay with my life if Barry Bonds in the ho- is in the Hall of Fame? Yes. You know, like, yeah. it, it's always this internal battle that we have. It's like, oh my God, but Kurt Schilling's such a bad dude, but he, but he pitched well. Okay. But there's a lot of dirt bags in the hall of fame. What about Ty Cobb? The exactly. guy was a racist. Exactly. You know what I mean? So like, you know, God, you know, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a struggle. It's such an internal battle. And just um, like society, it's a societal thing. Basically we deal with our history as a society and baseball has to deal with its history yeah. and this is all a part of it. And, you know, like like you said at the very top of the show, I, I've discovered baseball when I was 16. So f- as far as 2008 onward, I'm I'm right on top of all sorts of baseball players and names and stats and story. And I, I know it like the back of my hand, but learning baseball history and, and beginning to respect baseball history is, is a huge part of being a fan of the game. And, you know, I've said it already, but you, you, this is a huge part of the story of baseball. Cannot, cannot, oh, cannot be ignored. Uh, I think that's a great way to 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 leave it, Johnny. With the with the last word there, it's a perfect way to uh, round it out. And uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me for a meeting on the mound. This was awesome. Uh, we could probably go, you know, a couple more hours talking about this. I could do this, this all day. I could do this all day with you, Skip. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for giving me the the, uh, the little morale boost up here on the mound. I've appreciated. Yeah, exactly. It. Now, now go hit the showers. Uh, <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and uh, check out Johnny McEwen, all American Brit podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. Go follow him there. Take a listen to um, all of the episodes that he has. He talks about golf, talks about soccer, talks about boxing, uh, covers baseball as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, this was awesome. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it, Jake. Really love the show. And, uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Thank you.